from game-winning shots. Walk-off home runs. This ball is crushed. To last-second field goals. Sports Corner. This is the Guarantee Sports Corner on a Tuesday, wherever you may be, however you may be listening, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud. August is almost over one more week, and we are already in month nine of what we call this terrible, terrible year. But that's okay, because that means football is almost here, and that's when things get really exciting. Just a heads up before I go on into the rest of my show, I just want to let everyone know out there that this was recorded on August 25th. However, I am posting it on August 26th, so you don't think that I so-called traveled back in time and got everything right. I've already written everything out before yesterday, or yes, before yesterday, and I just wanted to put that out there that this was recorded on the 25th, I'm just posting it on the 26th, so there's no confusion there. So the NBA playoffs are in full swing, and we have already seen three teams go home, all in the Eastern Conference. The Raptors swept the Nets, the Celtics swept the 76ers, and my Miami Heat! swept the Indiana Pacers. I wasn't expecting three sweeps in the first round. I think we were all expecting the Bucks to sweep the Magic, but they kept, uh, you know, they, they pushed it in game one and shocked everyone. With Simmons being out for Philadelphia, I think we could all foresee that the Celtics would walk over Philly. So I wasn't entirely shocked uh, when the Celtics won in four games. The Raptors series was interesting, and there were times throughout that series where you sat and you thought, wow, if this team had Kyrie and Durant, they would cause problems for the Raptors. And I am absolutely terrified for the Nets Nets next year. That is a very well-coached team. They have all kinds of bench players. Players stepped up huge this year. The Nets are going in the right direction. I mean, they hung around with the Raptors for majority of the series. Yeah, towards the end of the games, they would kind of blow away and win by double figures, but for two and a half, three quarters, the Nets were right there with them. I mean, and that's that's without having an all-star. That's without having a superstar in your lineup, and you're keeping up with the defending champs. I mean, I'm absolutely terrified of the Nets next year. I, I don't know about you guys, but if, if Kyrie and Kevin Durant, they could make things work out there in Brooklyn, I'm just going to say watch out because the the whole the rest of that team is phenomenal and yeah, I'm just going to be terrified. Absolutely scared of them next year. As for the Pacers, this is the result of a small market team and it's hard for them to lure in players to a city that isn't known for bringing in big free agent names so they got bounced out by a sweep for the third time in four years and i've seen pacers fans constantly grieve over nate mcmillan which i don't think he's a terrible coach but it just shows how much more spolster was ready for a playoff matchup than mcmillan was 
So bonus being out definitely hurt the Pacers, no doubt. But Nate just didn't make a lot of adjustments to make up for their player being out. You know, so there wasn't a ton of adjustments. And, you know, we saw it. We, we definitely saw it. And I think that's what hurt them more than anything. Now, as for the 76ers, they just fired their coach, Brett Brown, after seven years of being head coach for them. And I'm a little shocked by it. You know, I know people out there who aren't shocked by it at all. But Simmons being out, I think, was detrimental to their team. And we all saw how Embiid couldn't carry a team to a win. So what wouldn't be shocking to me is if Philly ships out Embiid for picks and players. So, you know, picks and players because Simmons and Embiid do not complement each other. They do not. And I don't even know why Philadelphia even decided to draft Ben Simmons. Yes, he was the best player coming out of the draft. But Simmons, Simmons needs the paint to be open to thrive. And Embiid lives in the paint. So it kind of contradicts each other's play style. I mean, I'm not saying if Simmons was healthy, uh, they would win this series. But that's what the 76ers team looks like without him. And they got swept. Embiid's biggest issues to his game are his stamina. That's his biggest issue that he has with his game. You know, he goes off in the first half and has really great numbers. I mean, Joel Embiid is an animal in the first and the second quarter. And then the third and the fourth quarter come around. He's huffing and puffing. He's kind of dragging across the court. He's put the hands on the hips. He's tired. He's tired by the second half. But you can't sit there and tell me that Joel Embiid is in the best shape that he could possibly be in because he's not. He's not, and he knows it. The 76ers know it. His teammates know it. Everyone knows it. Joel Embiid was not fit to play 40 minutes in an NBA game. He's just not. And quite frankly, I don't think he ever will be. So if I were the 76ers and I want to keep Ben Simmons as my centerpiece to build around for the future, you got to ship out Embiid. You got to get something for him. I mean, I've heard rumors that, you know, since the Warriors have the second pick, there you go. Joel Embiid for the second pick in the draft. Maybe the Warriors can give the the or the yeah, the Warriors maybe give them a player or two, see how that works out. That'd be perfect though. You know, Golden State gets their big man that they so desperately need and want. Philadelphia gets another chance at bringing in a game-changing player. So, I mean, if the draft goes how it should, James Wiseman, the center out of Memphis, should be available at number two. And the 76ers can draft another center who they can work with, who they can kind of change his game a little bit, make it adapt to Ben Simmons, make it work that way. I think that would be the better result in the long run for the 76ers. I mean, clearly Embiid and Simmons is not working out. They're two really, really great players. Their play style just does not mesh with each other, and that's fine. I mean, no one's, no one's giving them crap for not being able to play with each other. There are plenty of teammates out there who just can't play with each other. But, I mean, we've been trying this whole process thing for how long now? And it hasn't worked. 
So now you've got to try something else. Brett Brown's out of town. Now you got to try something new. you got to work around Simmons because clearly Simmons is the better player for the long term. Yes, he had some injuries this year, but Embiid gets hurt every single year, and he can't even play a full 40 minutes. He just can't. So if I were the Philadelphia 76ers, I would talk to Golden State. I'd hit up Golden State, and I'd be like, hey, we'll give you Embiid for that number two overall pick and another player in exchange. What's the big deal in that? I mean, you don't, you, you don't have to ask Embiid to put up the numbers and to put up the minutes in Golden State like how he would have to in Philadelphia. It would work perfectly. I mean, Embiid wouldn't have to work as hard. I mean, that'd be perfect for him. He doesn't have to be the guy. He doesn't even have to be the second guy. It just makes sense to me. So I wouldn't be entirely caught by surprise if the 76ers and the Warriors came out with some kind of deal for Embiid for that second overall pick. That's just me, though. So uh, what I was going to get to next, the 76ers being swept wasn't Brett Brown's fault. You know, everyone likes to blame the coaching right off the bat if they like the team. Now, if they don't like a team, if they don't like certain players, they're going to blame the players, a.k.a. Kyrie Irving in Boston. I mean, it didn't work out, so people blame Kyrie. They didn't blame Brad Stevens. And why would they? Brad Stevens is a sensational coach. But when it comes to this, it wasn't Brett Brown's fault. I mean, Simmons was hurt. You can't really, can't really do much with that. So, but, but when you look at Brett Brown's time with the 76ers, they had, in his first year, they had 19 wins. Then they had 18 wins. Then they had 10 wins. Then they went back up to 28 wins. And then 52, 51. And this year, they finished sixth in the East. So I can understand why they fired him. He's only taken them to the second round in the last two years. So it makes sense why his time is up. But this wasn't entirely his fault. I think as far as his future goes, he'll end up being an assistant somewhere at first and then maybe in a few years get another head coaching job again. But this this wasn't Brett Brown's fault. you know. And, and it was probably a respectful decision from the 76ers organization. They say, hey, you know, you brought us a long way. You turned around the franchise. But, I mean, you just can't get us past that next step that we need to in order to move on with this organization, in order for us to get another championship to the city. So, you know, I understand let someone else come in, work with the roster that they have now, because that roster is not terrible. I mean, if Embiid and Simmons decide to stay together, you got Embiid, you got uh, Simmons, you got Al Horford, uh, Tobias Harris, Josh Richardson. I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good starting five. I mean, you can improve at shooting guard, and maybe you can upgrade at Tobias Harris a little bit, but that's a nice team. That's a very nice team. So, you know, if, if someone new comes in, puts together the pieces the right way, then maybe something can work out for Philadelphia. But, you know, it, Brown, you know, he, he, he started literally from the bottom. I mean, they had the worst record ever, 10-72. Uh, that, that's the worst record of all time. Maybe besides the shortened season, I think, where they won eight games. I, I don't even remember. Maybe it was the Bobcats. I don't remember. But they went from 10-72 and 72 to two years later winning 52-51, and 51, and this year they finished sixth. 
that's a big improvement. That, that is a massive improvement. We all forget how terrible Philadelphia was in the mid in the mid 2010s. They were terrible. There were guys that we didn't even freaking hear of. And now here they are, five years later. They're fine. The team's fine. There's no need to go into panic mode at all. You guys are fine. You have the right pieces. Yes, Simmons has got to get a three-point shot. He has to. And Philadelphia needs to get a ton of shooters around him as well because he loves dishing it out off the drive. That's just what the Sixers have to do. So the other playoff series that are still going on, the Lakers are up 3-1 to one on the Blazers. The Rockets and Thunder are tied at 2-2, which has even surprised me. You know, I thought the Rockets would walk away with this series, no problem. But the Thunder have been tremendous this season. And what they've been able to do with Chris Paul is exceptional. Uh, the Jazz are up 3-1 to one on the Nuggets, which has also surprised me a lot. And the Bucks are up 3-1 on the Magic. And also the Clippers are tied with the Mavs at 2-2. Two to two. And that series is probably the best one out of the whole first round so far. What Luka Doncic is able to do at 20 years old is just remarkable. I mean, the guy's younger than me. He's three years younger than me. I haven't seen anything like this in my life. Yes, LeBron was great as a rookie. There have been other players who do really well in their first few years in the league. But Doncic tops all of them, no doubt. And even on one foot, he was still able to put up 40-plus points and get the win. I just can't explain it. Against Kawhi Leonard, too which makes it even that much better. I mean, I have no words to describe Luka Doncic. Oh, but he, he, he was professional. He, he was ready for it. Does it matter? I mean, the European Basketball League is not nearly as good as it is in the NBA. I mean, yes, Luka Doncic was playing European professional basketball at 16 years old. I mean, we know he's good. That's why he came to the NBA, to show everybody what he can do. And he, he's showing off right now. And he's just having fun. He's such an easy guy to play with. Players love him. They support him. They back him up. I mean, what more can you ask in a franchise player at 20 years old? I mean, this is unheard of. I mean, there are not very many 20, 21, 22-year-olds who are the face of a franchise and do it as well as Luka Doncic is. That'd be like me being the franchise player for a professional sports team at my age. You know, I, I couldn't even fathom what that would be like. I couldn't even imagine the, the thoughts and the feelings and the, and the overexcitement and, and the adrenaline that comes with it. I mean, there are just so many factors that come with being the face of a franchise, and especially at that young of an age, and he's able to embrace it and live it. I mean, hats off to him. I mean, he, he, he's so far ahead of everybody else at his age. It, it, it's just unbelievable. And I'm not going to compare him to any of the all-time greats. It's still too early. But, I mean, if he somehow comes out of this series against the Clippers... That's going to do something major for his legacy. 
So today the Jazz look to close out the Nuggets in five games. I want to say it will happen, but I think the Nuggets are now at DEFCON 1, where they have to be perfect the rest of the series. Mitchell has been unreal in this series. Him and only two others in history have scored multiple 50-point games in a series. It's been him, Damian Lillard, and Michael Jordan. That is an elite company to be a part of. So I think the Nuggets will win today. I think they're going to win today. And then the Jazz to lose it out in Game 6. And the Clippers and the Mavs are also scoring off today. And I like the Clippers today. Uh, Paul George has been a total nightmare so far in the playoffs and is a huge, huge reason why they are tied right now. And if he can step up tonight and deliver at least 25, I think the, Cup, the Clippers will have no problem winning this game. And after Luka Doncic's game-winning shot in Game 4, I think they come out strong and set the tempo for the rest of this game. I mean... Everyone expected the Clippers to just run away with this series. No problem. But they don't have Patrick Beverly. You know, and, and even some of the other players, Montrez Harrell, uh, Lou Williams. I mean, they're playing now, but they weren't playing towards the end of the seeding games. And then now they got to get back into shape. They got to get back into game shape. You know, the chemistry's got to build up again. So, I mean, that's always a factor as well. But Luka Doncic is putting the team on his back. Without Porzingis, because he got suspended in Game 3, uh, didn't play in Game 4. So what Luka has been able to do, again, is just it's, it's just absolutely unheard of. Against one of the best defensive players in the league. And it's just, I, I've never seen anything like it before. So baseball is nearly halfway over. And the Dodgers have the best record in baseball. Sounds pretty familiar, right? while the A's and the Twins are tied for the best record in the American League, which isn't a familiar thing to say as an A's fan. Halfway there, and the A's have 20 wins, so I think my 37 that I predicted will hold up nicely. And if you remember when Scotty, my friend Scotty, came on a few weeks ago, he said his Padres were going to win 33 games, and that actually might hold up for him as well because the Padres' bats are just flying, flying all over the place. Now, I'm going to list my six MVP candidates for the season at the halfway mark. Three from the NL, three from the AL. Uh, here we go. One candidate for the American League is Nelson Cruz. Yes, the same Nelson Cruz we've seen hit bombs over the year. He's tied for the most home runs in the American League and second in RBIs while hitting 340 this year. And his on-base percentage is 429. 39 years old. And he's still one of the best hitters in the game. I mean, he just has a little bit over 400 home runs. I mean, he, he's, he's an absolute beast. I mean, he's, he's killing it this year. He's my first candidate for the American League. Jose Abreu is another candidate, also tied with Nelson Cruz for the most home runs and first in RBIs while hitting 322 and has an on-base percentage of 365. And the last candidate for the AL MVP, and I'll even throw in this, and this is going to shock a lot of you. Rookie Kyle Lewis for the Mariners, leading the American League in hits, on-base percentage, and he's tied for 17th in RBIs. He has been an absolute killer for Seattle so far this year. He might end up tailing off 
You know, he, uh, but, but this start he's off to is crazy. I mean, he is my front runner for rookie of the year. I mean, he's leading the entire American League in hits and on base percentage. That's crazy. Hats off to you. Now for the Edo, uh, I think this one's a pretty obvious. Fernando Tatis Jr. is a no-brainer. He's leading the league in home runs and RBIs. He's hitting 314, which is good, not great. But he's been a huge reason why the Padres are even relevant this year. Mookie Betts is another NL candidate, and I don't think that's fooling anyone. Second in home runs, second in RBIs. He just hasn't been getting the same hype as he was in Boston. And Trevor Story is my last candidate for the National League. Shortstop for the Rockies, he's got nine home runs with 20 RBIs. He's hitting 297. His numbers will go up. He's been nice for the Rockies. I wouldn't be shocked to see his numbers uh, end up being better than they already are. I mean, he's just been an absolute beast over there at shortstop for the Rockies for the last couple of years. And, you know, good good for the Rockies for finding a replacement for Tulo. It took them long enough. But Trevor Story has been pretty nice uh, for the Rockies. So we're going to end the show today. It's going to be a short one. Uh, we're going to do On This Day in History. So on this day in 1924, Walter Johnson throws his second no-header in his career. And on this day in 1960, the AFL started putting players' names on the back of jerseys, which I thought was pretty interesting. On this day in 1986, Mark McGuire hits his first career home run. On this day in 1996, Tiger Woods wins the 96th U.S. Golf Amateur Championship. There was something that I saw uh, before before I get off. There, there was a picture that my friend posted on Facebook, and it was about it was a baseball thing. And on August, so yesterday, August twenty fourth, back in nineteen nineteen, there was a player, and I, I don't remember his name, but there was a player back in nineteen nineteen who was struck by lightning in the ninth inning. And he ended up getting revived, and he finished the game. He got struck by lightning, and he finished the game. That is ridiculous. They just don't make them like they used to before. It's right here. Ray Caldwell struck by lightning in ninth inning of Indians' debut on August 24th, 1919. He finished the game after being revived. And then he pitched a no-hitter 17 days later. And then he won 20 games for the Indians that year. I, I mean, they just don't make them like they used to anymore. After I saw that, I said, good Lord. He got struck by lightning. And then he finished the game. <laughs> they do not make them like they used to anymore. Ray Caldwell. I would suggest you guys look him up. But, uh... Yeah, that that I thought that was hilarious. So that that's an that's another on this day in history, but for for the the day before on the twenty fourth. So thanks guys for tuning in. Um, we'll we'll be here on Thursday again. I'm gonna bring Jimmy on board. We'll bring some picks and also talk some more NBA playoffs 
as well. So for myself, James Guerin, thanks guys for tuning in. We'll see you guys next time. Have a great day. Aloha.